Father, we thank you for this day, this first day of the week that we can come and celebrate our risen Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, use this time as a means of grace to draw us closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so young people and young people teachers, get the hints. That's right. So we're continuing in our looking at uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, The Cost of Discipleship, and The Cost of Discipleship is an extended uh, commentary on the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what the disciples are called to be. We noticed last week the, the, the abrupt difference between chapter 5 and chapter 6. In chapter 5, our righteousness is before the world. It's the city on a hill. Uh, it's, it's the light not being hid under a bushel so that men can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And all of a sudden with chapter 6, we start focusing on things that are hidden. Uh, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And so we come to this section on prayer and specifically the hidden nature of prayer. And so could someone read for me Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15? Matthew 6, 5 to 15. So, as Matthew chapter 6 has shifted our focus from living our discipleship openly in front of the world in Matthew chapter 5, now in chapter 6, there's a hidden quality to our discipleship. There's a hiddenness uh, to the way in which we are to walk as the disciples of Christ. And so there in chapter 6 and verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, obviously that brings a, an image into our head, right? 
of some ancient guy wearing a robe standing on the corner of the street with his arms lifted up. And so we think, how relevant is that? Is that really a problem that we have today? (laughs) So have you ever heard somebody pray that you thought, wow, this person is really impressed with their own prayer? (laughs) And I will go a step further and I will say, I think the greatest guilty party in general are preachers. Don't ever ask a preacher to ask the blessing before a meal. He'll start in Genesis and end in Revelation, and he'll display all of his theological training, and the poor kids are sitting there going, come on. Nobody wants to hear your your long theological exhortation in prayer, certainly not before a dinner. (laughs) Keep it short, move on. But so often people feel like they're performing. There's a performative element to prayer, uh, particularly to public prayer. There, there's, a, there's a performative element that Bonhoeffer is, is drilling down in on uh, and, and trying to help us understand not only the danger of that performative element to our prayers, but then also the, the cure to it. And he starts off with the observation that prayer is a universal human function. Everybody prays. Even, even the most hardened atheist, you know, the, the, the classical saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, but, you know, when, when stuff explodes, when your life goes crazy around you, everybody's gonna pray. We're going to pray to something, to someone, to generic energy in this in the universe, but we're going to articulate prayer. The fact that we must be taught the fact that we must be taught to pray is evidence that Some prayer is ineffectual. And that's worth pausing for a moment on. Because how many of us think prayer is, is me speaking my heart to God? Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's just me opening up to God and, and having that conversation with God. Well, if so, if prayer is simply an opening of ourselves with nothing more, then why would we need to be taught how to pray? Why would we need an instruction in this manner, pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. Why would we need instruction if that in itself did not demonstrate that some of our prayers can be completely ineffectual. And I think that's an intriguing thought that that Bonhoeffer is, is teasing out here. He says, in prayer, we leave the realm of our own direct action in the world and enter into an exclusive focus upon God. It is therefore the perfect 
example of undemonstrative action. So, let me flesh that out just a little bit. Because I think, again, we're getting into the performative aspect of prayer for many of us. How many of us, when someone says, I have an issue, your response is, I'll pray. (laughs) And Bonhoeffer is saying, no, that true prayer is undemonstrative. It's not a demonstration of our care. It's not a demonstration of our action in the world. We have given up on the ability to influence. We have given up. We're recognizing our inability when we pray. And and that's true, you know, in the catastrophes of life. Uh, you get a phone call from your doctor and, and he says, listen, it's bad. Stage four uh, just popped up. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to cry out to God. You're going to acknowledge that this is out of my control. This is big. I need help. God, keep me. And Bonhoeffer's point is that it's always out of our control. Life is out of our control. And we are always, when we are praying, we are always declaring that we have to have God to 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 nourish us, to ground us, to strengthen us, to guide us. We, we will die without him. So prayer is not a demonstration on my part. It is actually a crying out to God on, on my part. It's, a, it's an expression of my own helplessness. And so that's where we get into public prayer. If prayer is essentially, at its essence, is if prayer is a, a profession of helplessness, then what do we do in the realm of public prayer? Because Jesus seems to forbid public prayer. Well, he's not forbidding public prayer. We have plenty of examples of public prayer. He's he's forbidding a certain heart in our public prayer. And uh, so so how and and so Bonhoeffer asked the question: How do we pray openly and yet hide? How do we do these two things? We we know that there's open prayer. We know that we pray in front of other people. We know that we the the pastor leads the congregation in prayer. There there are plenty of occasions when open public prayer is both appropriate and and uh, the correct thing to do. Uh, and and so in those situations, how can we do that and simultaneously hide? Because there's clearly something about the hiddenness. That's that's how Jesus prefaces the Lord's Prayer. Uh, don't pray openly. <laughs> but but there, there's something about the hiddenness. So how do we pray openly yet hide? And And specifically, how do we hide when our chief temptation is to be impressed with our own prayers, and that temptation comes from within our own hearts. It's it's my temptation to be impressed with what a glorious prayer <laughs> I've lifted up. I'm the one who's self-congratulating, uh, and, and that's the tendency. And so Bonhoeffer says, the only way to do this is by letting Christ alone reign in our hearts by surrendering our wills completely to him, by living in fellowship with Jesus, and by following him, then we can pray that his will may be done, the will of him who knows our needs before we ask. 
Only then is our prayer certain, strong, and pure. And then prayer is really and truly petition. So that's a lot of words there. It finds its expression when we pick up that phone call, when we pick up that phone and get that call from the doctor that says stage four. What is our prayer at that moment? <laughs> and and you know when the disaster strikes, when the cancer hits, when the train of life rolls across us, often our instinctual prayer is God no, please don't take it away. But the child of God learns over the course of life, learns in following Christ to truly say, not my will, but yours be done. Use this thing for good. Use this thing in my life. Use this thing in my family. Use this thing in, in, in your kingdom. Uh, and, and the closer we get to that, the closer our prayers are to pure prayers, to, 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 what the model is supposed to be. So, uh, just uh, an example of this, uh, one of my heroes in the ministry is a pastor from century, a couple of centuries ago named Benjamin Morgan Palmer. And he wrote a book called The Broken Home, Lessons in Godly Sorrow. And they are essays that he wrote after five of his six children died. And then a final essay after his wife died. And this is over the course of 40, 50 years in, in pastoral ministry. But his very first one, he's holding his infant son. It's his firstborn son. And the son is choking. Uh, he's got consumption, which I think is like tuberculosis. Um, and, and the son is dying, and he realizes this son that he had hoped would be a pastor after him, that, you know, this was his, his firstborn, this was the one that he had held up to God and, and given to him and prayed that he would be strong in the ministry, and he realizes he's about to die. And Palmer says the heart in all of its despair and brokenness finally came to the place where it could say, not my will, but thine be done. Take my son. He always belonged to you. He was yours from the beginning. He always is yours. And he said, was this painful? Was this hard? Was this difficult? He said, of course it was. But it was just the bursting into full fruit of the seed that had been planted so long ago when he gave himself in faith to Jesus Christ. And and that, that maturing, that maturing of that, that first call to discipleship, to leave all and follow after me, the maturing of that grows in our prayers, through our prayers, our prayers grow us, so that we truly are learning to think God's thoughts after him, to pray his words back to him. That's what the Psalms are. They are the prayers uh, that, that God has given to us to pray when when we know nothing else to do. But when we are truly praying for God's will in this circumstance, then prayer really and truly is petition. And Bonhoeffer goes on to say, the power of prayer does not depend on the individual, but on our Father's knowledge and will. That makes God 
the sole object of our prayers and frees us from a false confidence in our own prayerful efforts. Again, meaty. <laughs> How many of us have someone very dear to us that is, has walked away from the Lord? That, that is in a place of darkness, that, that is in a place of spiritual darkness. Almost all of us, I would say, maybe even just flat out say all of us uh, do. Do we lift that person up in prayer on a regular basis? And the answer is yes, we do. We, we lift that one that is so dear to our heart, we lift that person before the throne daily, regularly, sometimes hourly for seasons <laughs> Of this, of, of just constant lifting it up to God. But if God doesn't, in our timing and in our understanding, dramatically transform this individual, does that mean that our prayers failed? Does that mean that we're falling short in some way? Does it mean that we don't truly have the heart of God, that, that we don't truly have that connection? And, and we see the extremes of this in the, in the faith and prosperity movement where if you have enough faith, the miracle comes true. Bonhoeffer's undercutting all this stuff, both the grotesque examples of it, but also our own personal discouragement by saying that when we're focusing exclusively on God, the power of our prayer is not, did we see something happen? That's not the power. That's not the efficacy of the prayer. God always hears our prayer. And when we're focused exclusively on him, then it frees us both from a false confidence that if I just pray hard enough, this will happen, but also from a sense of real despair. <laughs> I prayed all night <laughs> and, and this was not taken away or you know, this did not happen. It, it frees us from both a false confidence and discouragement. So then Bonhoeffer moves on into a brief exposition of the various petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, etc. And rather than going through all of the petitions one by one, because it's a very brief treatment, let me just go ahead and say, I think the absolute best, if you really want to study the Lord's Prayer and understand what the Lord's Prayer is calling us to do and and calling upon God to do. Uh, I think the shorter catechism that's in the back of your hymnals, uh, questions 109, or, uh, let's see, I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget, 98 to 107. Uh, questions 98 to 107 are the best treatment of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Bonhoeffer does make some helpful comments on some of them, and so I want to just point out some of the helpful comments that, that Bonhoeffer makes on some of the petitions. And, and one of them is in the phrase, Our Father. Uh, Bonhoeffer says, The disciples call upon the Heavenly Father as a corporate body. They call upon a Father who already knows His children's needs. The call of Jesus binds them in brotherhood. They are on earth, He in heaven. He looks down on them from above and they lift up their eyes to him. And, and so Bonhoeffer is noting the, the corporate aspect of this. Our, our Father is in heaven, and corporately, all of us together as the body, as the family of Christ, all of us together lift up our eyes to him 
and recognize that we are his children and he is our father. And that's the, the first standpoint in prayer. That we're, that we're, that we're coming to a father. We're, we're bringing our petitions as children together to our father. And then he goes on, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Bonhoeffer says, no creature on earth shall defy God, but the evil will is still alive even in the followers of Christ. It still seeks to cut them off from fellowship with him. And that is why they must pray that the will of God may prevail more and more in their hearts. In the end, the whole world must bow before that will, worshiping and giving thanks in joy and tribulation. Heaven and earth shall be subject to God. And and so Bonhoeffer is, is tying your experience and mine into God's grand story. When, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are first praying that that kingdom will come in my heart, that that will will be done in my heart. But also we're acknowledging that that kingdom is going to come. This is God. <laughs> this is God's kingdom. And, and he calls us to pray that his kingdom will come. And to, to live joyfully in the knowledge that this kingdom is breaking in. This kingdom is coming. The reign of Christ is breaking in to my heart, into my family, into my life. What God is pleased to do elsewhere is entirely up to God. That's not my worry. <laughs> but his kingdom is breaking in here. And that's my call. Uh, and, and that's what we're, 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 we're crying out when we're praying that God's kingdom and his will would come. And then the final thing that uh, he brings out, or the final thing that I want to bring out from his uh, treatment of the Lord's Prayer is the uh, phrase, forgive us our debts. And he says, we must constantly recognize and bewail our own sinfulness. Our own discipleship is marred by unbelief, by laziness in prayer, by lack of bodily discipline, self-indulgence, envy. Living in fellowship, we bring our sins to the Father, which binds us to the forgiveness of one another's debts. And, and so I, I love Bonhoeffer's emphasis on the corporate, the corporate here. When we, we, we approach God corporately, we approach God as disciples, not my Father who is in heaven, but our Father who is in heaven. We approach Him corporately. And we come together saying to Him, as we are asking your forgiveness for our sins, we are binding ourselves to forgive one another. And that is frightening, it's scary, it's difficult, it's hard, uh, it's, it's, it's something that we are always going to fall short of. Uh, and even just the issues of, you know, he, he mentions other spiritual disciplines uh, in, in terms of our own sin. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to, Lord willing, bring out in the sermon this morning, as we're looking at the, the portion of Leviticus 8, is how even our best works seem to be corrupted. If, if I get up 
and I present hours and hours and hours worth of study and prayerful meditation, and I present an insight on God's Word that is truly refreshing and powerful and glorious and gracious, can I honestly say that I'm doing it 100% for the glory of God? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I wish I were. I wish I were. I wish I could say that. But if I'm examining my own heart, I can't say even what I'm doing that he calls me to do. Even when I'm doing what he commands from me and what he is pleased to receive from me, even then it gets mixed up with so much self-indulgence and nonsense that, that, that makes it not a pure offering. And so when I come to God and I say, forgive me my sins, forgive us our sins, as we forgive one another, I'm recognizing not only even my best is marred, but there's a lot in me that's not my best by a long stretch. And the same with my brother, the same with my sister. And it's a, it's a daunting call. Uh, it's a daunting prayer, but it is the life of discipleship. We grow in it. Uh, we're, we're never going to reach, we're never going to attain perfection this side of glory, but this is the bullseye that we are aiming for. All right, so with that. And I think that is wonderful. I think we should. We should absolutely. Yeah, I'm, uh, not that we are to pray the Lord's Prayer every time we open our mouths to God. But Jesus did say, this is your prayer. <laughs> when the disciples said, teach me how to pray, this is the one he gave them. <laughs> Sure, sure. Yes, I do not think we should only pray the Lord's Prayer. I do not think that. Well, Jesus gave it to us as an example. Well, that, okay, so let me go ahead and close. And we'll...
<laughs> well, don't quit. <laughs> okay, well, let me, let me close the prayer. <laughs> Father, we do thank you that you do hear our prayers. Uh, you are our Father. And as children, we look up to you. Uh, would you comfort and receive and give us guidance and direction in Christ's name? Amen.